Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Why Not Us podcast, NFL edition. This is week four recap. My name is Adam Glick. Alongside with me tonight is Josh Spaith. We have a jam-packed show for us here tonight. But Josh, let's first, before we get going, how was your week? How was the football that you watched? Well, both my teams caught the dub. Texas holding on, the Browns holding on. Both games that at some point in time made my blood pressure a little bit more than they should. But you know what? That's what happens when you're a fan of those two teams. So can't complain. Yeah, and I felt the same way. And we're going to kick it off with my team. Monday night, the Chargers and the Raiders, a battle of AFC West opponents. And the Chargers come out on top. They looked really good tonight. They went 28-14. to 14. Justin Herbert, another really solid game on the offensive side of the ball. But it was really the run game, and it was Austin Eckler breakout game, 117 yards on the ground on 15 carries, almost averaging eight yards a carry. The Chargers also on the defensive side of the ball tonight. Bosa was everywhere. They got a ton of pressure on Derek Carr. Derwin James had an interception, which was fantastic to see. This defense swarmed the Raiders. They couldn't do anything. The first half, they had maybe one first down. It was incredible. Second half, they made it a little interesting, as Josh talked about with his blood pressure. Mine got up there in the uh, sky-high range as well, but they got the job done. They found a way late in that fourth quarter to put the game away, got a big drive at the end to go up by two scores. This team, I don't want to get too excited, but they look really, really good. I'm very excited to be a Charger fan this year. 28-14 to 14 again, the final. They moved to 3-1, and one, and more importantly, they moved to 2-0 and oh in the AFC West already this season through the first four games. And so, Josh, I want to get your thoughts and on this game. And who do you think in this division can dethrone the Kansas City Chiefs after watching tonight's game? I mean, honestly, the Denver Broncos, for me, probably fall out of consideration. But I think it could be either of these two teams. You know, it remains to be seen whether or not the Raiders can go and beat the Chiefs. They've yet to play. We've seen that obviously the Chargers are capable of going to Arrowhead and winning that game. I'm one to think that, you know, if that's going to happen twice in one season, not necessarily them playing, but them playing at Arrowhead, potentially in the playoffs, you want to save the time that you win that game for the playoffs. because It's impossible to do it twice, but you know what? There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of what ifs that go into that statement. I was very impressed by this Charger team. The Raiders do this thing where even if it's so chargers to put themselves in the situation, they always battle back. They hang around. Even if they're down by three touchdowns and their offense is non-existent in the first half, they'll come out, they'll get two quick scores. They'll play a couple good defensive drives. And honestly, I think the entire outcome of this game comes down to a third and three on the chargers, 28, three minutes into the fourth quarter. The Chargers give up a first down on that. The Raiders could go down and score, tie the game. Instead, they get a sack. Daniel Carlson then misses his first field goal in 29 consecutive that he had hit before that. Huge game changer. That's the momentum that determines a Charger blown win, a blown lead into being a win. And I'm very happy on your behalf that they were able to do that. And obviously, they went down the next drive, scored a touchdown, picked off Derek Carr the next drive, and that was about that. So great win for the Chargers. I'm very impressed with this team, and uh, they're going to have some difficulty next week. Yeah, they are. This show is going to be a lot of fun on the preview and the recap next week with the Chargers and the Browns, both our teams facing off against each other in SoFi Stadium, which is now prone to lightning delays, even in a dome stadium. I don't know how that happens, no, but this is 2021. Believe in the impossible. As we move on, to our next game, we got to talk about another AFC West team that did not look so good and maybe now is the team that we expect to do the least in this division. That is the Denver Broncos. They've had a very tough game given the fact that they were playing the Baltimore Ravens at home and their offense was a no-show. The Ravens did whatever they want on the defensive end. They went 23-7. to Bridgewater gets hurt in this game. They bring in Drew Locke, who didn't do much better. The Ravens looked like a really scary team in the AFC. Lamar Jackson threw for 316 yards, which is pretty impressive for him, considering he's more of a runner. And this Ravens team, they looked they looked the part this week. A tough game. It's not easy to go 
into Denver and win like that. It was never really close. So I want to get your thoughts, Josh, on how were the Ravens just so successful and how were they able to just kind of dominate this game from kickoff? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the fact that Denver was favored in this game, albeit by a point, I thought was really interesting. But you're you're right in the money. Their offense just wasn't there. You know, Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt, as you mentioned, and that's not going to buy you any points. You know, Drew Locke comes in, doesn't look great, but Teddy didn't look good even before he went down with the injury. And it just seemed like the Ravens had absolutely no question that they were going to be in control of this game, despite the fact that going into this game, they had to sign running backs just to meet like any kind of a roster. Now that Tyson Williams, their next man of next man of next man of next man up goes down. So they're looking at Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, remember him, and Devonta Freeman, remember him? Three guys that are absolutely ancient. And I just, like, I, I, I don't know. This, this was a, a very tough way for them to run the ball. I think we should mention the fact that there was a lot of uproar coming from the Denver Broncos that on the final play of the game, the Ravens did something that was kind of... I don't know. I I understand why they did it, but with three seconds left, they're on the verge of tying the all-time record of most consecutive 100-plus yard rushing games. Instead of taking the kneel down up by 16, Lamar Jackson takes it by himself, picks up the yardage that he needs to, and the Broncos went into fury. I mean, they, they won this game handedly, and that was a little bit of salt in the wound, so I can understand why, um, but maybe not the nicest thing in the world to do as an opponent. Yeah, I honestly, I don't really like the decision there by the Ravens, but I understand it from a analytical, not analytical, but statistical perspective. It's a pretty cool stat that the Ravens have, but this team is able to win games because of their defense and because they basically have a quarterback who is a running back, despite their whole team, their whole uh, running back situation being hurt and give credit to Latavius Murray had a big game. I mean, he's coming out of nowhere, 18 carries for 15, 59 yards, giving the ball 18 times. That's impressive. He had a touchdown as well. And Lamar Jackson only had 28 yards rushing. And yes, Josh is telling me he had over 300. I said this earlier. He threw for over 300 yards. That is something out of, I don't know. I've never seen that. And to Um, a bunch of different guys too. I mean, yeah. Marquise Brown had that ridiculous touchdown. James Roach getting 74. Mark Andrews gets his 67. Sammy Watkins gets his 49. Devin Duvernay gets his 31. I mean, that's amazing. That's yeah. not the Lamar that we know. I know. He's spreading the wealth. Give credit to the Baltimore Ravens as they pick up a big win in Denver, and they move to 3-1 and one as the Broncos fall to 3-1. and one. Now, only one undefeated team that we will get to left through four weeks, but we will stay in the AFC West, and that is we go to another team, probably the favorite going into the NFL season for this division, if not the Super Bowl, and that was the Kansas City Chiefs. They went to Philadelphia, and the Eagles, their defense continues to impress me by giving up points after points. They give up 42. That is the number of Jackie Robinson, by the way. That is a lot of points in the NFL to be giving up. Patrick Mahomes throws for a low-key five touchdowns for 278 yards. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire actually runs the ball for over 100 yards. Tyree Kill has a pedestrian kind of game with 11 catches for 186 yards and three touchdowns. And this is the NFL. This is not Madden 21. And it seemed like that on Sunday against the Eagles, who are just, I don't know, they are a mess right now. Give The Eagles still scored. They got 30 points. Jalen Hurts almost threw for 400 yards. But Mahomes, back to his old self, five touchdowns. Eagles, how are you going to win football games if you're giving up 30-plus points every single week in the NFL? It's just not going to happen. So, Josh, I want to ask you this. Chiefs look good back to their old self on offense, but are you concerned at all with the defense that they've been playing as a top-tier NFL team? I mean, I think that's really a huge question right now. In four games this season, the Chiefs have given up 29 points to the Browns, 36 points to the Ravens, 30 points to the Chargers, and now 30 points to the Eagles. That's just about 30 or more in every single game. And 
frankly, I don't care if you've got Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill going for 186, which, by the way, he gets 186. The rest of the receivers in that offense combined had, had 92 yards. Wow. Between everybody else, Travis Kelsey gets 23, Byron Pringle gets 23. Like, no one else was touching the ball this game except Tyreek. You would think that the Eagles would be like, hmm, maybe we should guard the one guy that they're throwing to. Now their defense but, is not good enough for but that. But no, but back to the Chiefs defense. I mean, the Eagles obviously don't have a great running game. They've decided to do this thing where Miles Sanders just does not really touch the ball. But passing, you're, you're running the money. I mean, Hertz looked amazing in the air. He throws for 387. Quietly, the, the incredible rookie, Devonta Smith, goes seven for 122. Doesn't get a touchdown, but I mean... It just does not seem like the Chiefs have a passing defense. It doesn't exist. And teams have ran the ball pretty well against them as well. So I, I really don't even, you preface this conversation with the, uh, the preseason favorite Kansas City Chiefs. You know, obviously you would, you know, curl into a ball if I tried to tell you that the Chargers might be a better team to win this division right now. But if this is going to be the defense that the Chiefs play, if they play anybody with a half decent offense and a half decent defense, it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. I mean, you, you said it, it's just hard in the NFL to win football games. If your defense is consistently giving up lots of yards through there, lots of yards on the ground and lots of points on the scoreboard. So as good as Patrick Mahomes is in this offense, they have all the weapons in the world. We're going to see a lot from this team. And Josh is alluding giving me more signals again. It, they play the Buffalo Bills. It is a massive game. Monster game. If you like points, you have to tune into <laughs> this game. They might never get a punt the entire game. Who knows? But yeah, the question is going to come down to if the Chiefs want to be legit Super Bowl contenders, they're going to have to defend at some point. It doesn't have to be great, but it has to be halfway decent. And we haven't seen that so far this year. But on that point, we head from one great division to the next great division. These are the two best in the NFL, and that is the NFC West. Four incredible teams in this division. We had probably the game of the week. We'll start off with the Cardinals and the Rams. Everyone was so big on, on the Rams, including myself, going into this week after a monster win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week. And man, oh man, I was shocked at the result. The Arizona Cardinals. Cannot stop scoring. Pat, Kyler Murray cannot stop getting yards, running wherever he wants to, and scoring a lot of touchdowns. And this team steamrolled, steamrolled the Los Angeles Rams in SoFi Stadium in LA. Really impressive. They held them to 20 points. And by the way, the Rams defense is supposed to be one of the top in the one of the best in the NFL. And they got shelled. Shelled. Yeah, Chase Edmonds just continues to run the ball with amazing prowess, amazing vision on the ground, 120 yards, as I mentioned. This Rams defense had no answers to stop this Cardinals team. And now the question becomes, are the Cardinals the new Super Bowl contenders or favorites in the NFC West, especially in the Rams? Matthew Stafford, finally a game where it's respectable numbers, didn't go crazy. They really struggled to score points against not such a great defense, honestly, in the Arizona Cardinals. And Daryl Henderson, 89 yards on the ground, which was pretty good. But their big receivers, Cooper Cup, finally had a game where he didn't go crazy. I was really surprised, not just the Cardinals winning, but the way they won. They controlled this entire game. So, Josh, I want to get your opinions on both these teams. And now I ask you this, are the Cardinals the new favorites in the NFC? In the NFC? The Super Bowl? Both of those good questions. I would lean more on the NFC side. Honestly, my Super Bowl favorite right now is Buffalo, and we'll get to them. But, I mean, this this team can really score. I know I just rattled off all those numbers of the Chiefs having 30-plus on defense. How about the Cardinals on offense? 38 against Tennessee, 34 against Minnesota, 31 against Jacksonville, and now 37 against that touted Rams defense. It seems like Kyler Murray has just decided that this league is his. And if you would like to stop him, well... No one has yet, and every other team has been stopped at least once. So at this very moment, I'm still looking for a reason why they wouldn't win the NFC. They look like they're going to do a good job in a very, very difficult division, especially if they can do this to the Rams. 
And I wasn't as high on the Rams as you might have been. I thought that this would be a close game, but it really wasn't. The Cardinals were in control from the get-go. They were scoring quick and easy touchdowns on their first few drives. And Chase Edmonds goes crazy, but James Conner gets the two touchdowns. Kyler's throwing touchdown passes to A.J. Green and Max Williams, not DeAndre Hopkins. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, the Rams' offense was okay. Daryl Henderson looked good on the ground, but their top guys, Cooper Cup gets targeted 13 times, only gets five catches. Like He was getting locked down by the Cardinals' secondary, which is new because the Rams' secondary is usually that one that we expect a lot of, and that's probably why Kyler said, okay, if I'm going to go and get my bag this week, I'm going to have to go to guys like A.J. Green and go for anybody else besides Jalen Ramsey guarding DeAndre Hopkins. So I give them all the props in the world. This was a very entertaining game and a lot of offense between these two teams. But the Cardinals in their first few games, especially now that we've seen what some of these other teams have done since, the Titans, the Vikings, the Jags, nothing to write home about any of those teams right now. Going to L.A. and beating the Rams, that is a massive win this early in the season. Yeah, and as you said, it's a statement win that they can really build on, and there was a gut-check performance, and they really performed at a high level in a tough environment against one of the best teams in the NFL. Give all the credit to them. Kyler Murray couldn't probably score 30-plus points, even if me or Josh are the receivers on his team. So we will see where they go from here. We got to go from to another NFC West game and that was the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. This was a game the Seattle had to have. They were one and two coming in, could not drop to one three in this division. They took advantage. They went 28 to 21, but the score was not as close as it indicated. Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt in this game. They bring in Trey Lance, who actually looked pretty good in the run game. Two touchdowns. He threw for 157 yards. Also, Trey Sermon out of Ohio State, 89 yards on the ground for the 49ers. But Seattle, and the crazy thing with Seattle was Russell Wilson only threw for 149 yards, but they got 28 points. The defense was pretty spectacular. And Chris Carson was not really the main running back on Sunday for the Seattle Seahawks. That, the main running back, his name is Alex Collins from Arkansas University in his fourth year in the NFL. And it worked for them. Uh, really? You know, Tyler Lockett, really a no-show in this game. DK Metcalf finally had some big catches, but only 65 yards. As I said, Russell Wilson didn't throw for a lot of yards through the air. So this performance from Seattle, it wasn't anything to write home about, but it was a win you had to have, a very impressive win. They were underdogs. One of those picks where I'm like, I don't know if they should be underdogs on the road at San Francisco, but credit the Seahawks for winning this game, and they're right back in the division race at 2-2. Two and two. This is one of the weirdest box scores I have ever seen. You're absolutely right in that this game was not close, but the Niners almost had twice as much offense as the Seahawks, and they only turned the ball over twice. I mean, that is, and I'll explain why, because I checked. <laughs> San Francisco finishes this game with barely more time of possession either, 437 yards of offense. Seattle had 234 Every single drive that Seattle had in the first half, with the exception of their last one, was a three and out. Every single one of them. Their last drive was a touchdown, and that tied the game seven to seven, and then they had the half. They come out of the half, they get one first down in the first play, punt, then they get a touchdown. Then up 14 to seven, the Niners fumble the kickoff return, and they score pretty quickly. Niners score on next on their, on their next drive with a gigantic touchdown by Debo Samuel, 76 yards. Trey Lance absolutely launched that ball. And then the next drive, Russell Wilson gets a nice 10 play drive, gets his 28 points. The next two drives Seattle has to close the game, three and outs. They, like literally with the exception of their touchdown drives, they had no offense. And I, that's like so black and white. It's really not common. Usually you'll have drives that stall at midfield every once in a while. You get at least a couple of first downs and you punt from, you know, the 40 or the 50, but every single time they were getting three and outs. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't see that very often, but you know, Russell Wilson did what he needed to for whatever reason, Chris Carson just was not himself, but that's not news to us. Trey Lance really, really impressed me in this game comes in for Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo. Hope he's doing all right, but he might miss a game or two. 
He might miss his job by the time he comes back. Trey Lance was launching. He only had, I believe, he had single-digit completions. How many was it? Nine. Nine completions for 157, two touchdowns. That 76-yard touchdown of Debo Samuel, the league's leader in receiving, it's receiving yards now, who went eight for 156 and two, rivaling Tyreek Hill's week. This Niners offense has life. I'll say that. Trey, uh, Trey Sermon now, they got two trays on this team. He seems like their guy after all these question marks of who's going to be in the backfield. If he stays healthy, this Niners team's got promise, but Seattle is just one of those teams. It's just, you're not really sure what they're going to do week over week. And they were able to hang on to this one. Yeah. And you said it. I honestly, I think both these teams, I don't know what they're going to do every week. They're more than talented enough to win 10 plus games, make the postseason. But this division, man, it is tough. And Seattle had to have this win. Now both teams go to two and two in the NFC West. We will see where both these teams go next week. But a very impressive showing by the Seahawks to manage the win, even though obviously, as Josh talked about, the 49ers outplay them throughout the majority of this game. Now we get to a fun segment here on the podcast. That is our disappointment segment. It is back and in full force. And man, we had some couple teams that really lived up to the segment. We're going to get into that. The city of New York, man, it, it had an incredible, incredible weekend. The Yankees clinched the postseason. The Mets fired their coach. And the Giants and the Jets both won a football game. I, I heard a stat. I think it was the first time in 12 years that the Yankees, Jets, and Giants all won on the same day. Oh, my God. In 12 years. Pretty incredible, if you ask me. So, with that in mind, the Saints played the Giants and the Titans played the Jets. So, I want to ask Josh this. In our disappointment segment, which team was more disappointing and which team are you most concerned about of the two teams that lost to the city of New York on Sunday? All right. Well, I, I want to talk about the Titans half because I'll, I'll get to the Saints because they're, you know, we've talked about them on this pod, but let's talk about the Titans first. Titans have done this thing. You know, we saw week one when they just got absolutely thrashed by Arizona, who's by no means a bad team, as we've discussed. They just weren't alive. The Titans have just decided in some games that they don't want to play to their full potential. I understand that they're missing their top receivers in this game. They're having to go to random guys coming off the bench, and Ryan Tannehill was not the best quarterback in the world. But you've got Derrick Henry, and he's got he had a good game in this game. But like I was expecting him to go absolutely crazy. They're playing the New York Jets, and he goes. 33 for 157 and a touchdown. And I might sound insane to think that that's not awesome, but keep in mind, this is the same Derrick Henry that had 182 yards and three touchdowns against Seattle a couple of weeks ago. I think getting in the 33 touches was huge, but a lot of those carries came in the second half. First half, they were struggling. Much of this game, they were struggling. I don't think, and let me see before I say this, now they had a short lead at the beginning of the game, and then they kind of just gave it up in the fourth quarter. Zach Wilson turns it on, which I, I don't really know if I should attribute to Zach Wilson. I mean, good for him, but also, like, Titans defense, what are you doing? Like, you've seen what this Jets offense has done, which is next to nothing in just about every other game. I just have a lot of question marks about what Mike Vrabel's doing with all this talent that he's got going on, especially in the offense. Ryan Tannehill has to throw the ball 49 times in this game. Like, that's... That's brutal, especially because he's leading receiver is the backup running back, Jeremy McNichols, on checkdowns. He gets 12 targets and eight catches for 74 yards. Like, congratulations. I understand that you're working with Chester Rogers and Nick Westbrook, which is, you know, far from what anybody wants, but I would hope that you'd be able to beat this Jets team. So I'm going to go with the Jets. I'm going to go with the Jets being the Titans, the Titans being the bigger disappointment here. I would have to probably agree with you. I mean, losing the Jets is pretty low, if you ask me. Um, is it rock bottom? No, but it's close to it. The Titans, I know, as you talked about, they were missing some key guys in the receiving core, but there's no excuse to lose. So the Jets and Derrick Henry ran the ball for 157 yards. How do you lose? How do you let Zach Wilson and the New York Jets team? And they tried. the Jets tried to lose this game. The Titans, yeah, they have a wide-open division. 
So it's not the end of the world. They can, they're still more than talented enough to write the ship, but the Jets did everything in their power to try to blow this game. The Titans were just like, no, thanks. We will find a way to lose. The Titans found a way when they got a huge fourth down call on a penalty. They forced this game into overtime. The Jets kick a field goal where they really, they had a touchdown that Zach Wilson missed the throw in the goal line. And then the Titans, you know, worse, you know, you're about to tie the Jets. It's bad enough. And you miss the field goal. You can't even tie them. It's, it was a pretty low point. I was really discouraged by the Titans in this game. Obviously, they can come back next week with a win, but it, it's really concerning. I want, obviously, I'm going to get your opinion on the Saints, but how, I want to talk about that for a little bit. How did they lose to the Giants? They were winning convincingly in late in this fourth quarter. Giants win 27-21. This game also goes to overtime. The Saints were winning 21 to 10 with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter to the Giants. And they blow this game. Giants kick a game time field goal. Right, Graham Gano with 31 seconds to force overtime. And then the Giants get the ball to start overtime. And they go right down the field in a really impressive drive where they get a touchdown. And they win. LASIK Jameis again. This team is the most cons- un- inconsistent team in the NFL. I don't know how. I can't predict what the Saints are going to do in a given week, but Kamara runs the ball for 120 yards. Winston actually throws for 226, which is more than he has been throwing for, but you let up 27 points, especially late to this Giants team at home, nonetheless, and you now fall to two and two. So Josh, what do you make of this Saints team? I know we talk about it week in and week out, but this, I don't know what we're going to get from them. I, I have absolutely no idea. I, I have no idea. Like it's, it is an actual ridiculous anomaly. I mean, this is the same team that beat the Packers 38 to three in week one. Don't forget about that. And I understand that might've been a fluke game and Aaron Rodgers looks fine since, but I I don't, I don't get it. Like this saints team now has just baffled me on a couple of occasions. And I I think in general, the conclusion I have is that they're not that good. Like they, they, they don't have a ton on their offense other than Alvin Kamara, who they obviously used a lot, but, Jameis clearly can't lead an offense and he clearly can't throw the ball very well. Daniel Jones threw for 400 yards in this game, including a uh, 50 plus yard touchdown to Saquon Barkley, who then went on and scored the game winning touchdown. Great to see the two of them doing well, but I still don't think this team is very good. Also the guy, Graham Gano, remember his uh, missed kick a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. He misses the kick to tie the game at the end of the fourth quarter. But wait, they iced him. He gets a second shot and he puts it in the exact opposite. The NFL always has incredible storylines. The exact opposite happens. They tie the game. They send it to overtime and they wind up winning. They score on their first drive and great for the Giants, like I said, but this Saints team, to anybody that thought that the Saints were going to win this game and pick them in Survivor, how could you possibly think the Saints could ever win a game? Like, I don't think the Saints could play the Jets, and I would be convinced that they would win because they could they could play a game like this. Who knows? Yeah, and they also could play the Arizona Cardinals or the Los Angeles Rams, and they could win by double digits. You just don't know with the Saints. That's why, as you talked about, picking them in Survivor, not the smartest move, even though it's a little hindsight bias after the fact. But still, we move on. To two games I don't really want to get too much into because I don't, I'm not really high on any of these four teams that we're about to talk about, but I'll mention them. The Bengals and the Jags, they played Thursday night. The Bengals led for how many seconds? Zero. They somehow come from behind. They beat the Jags. Urban Meyer has a very interesting weekend, not just on the, on the field Thursday, but off the field. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up on the internet. I'm not going to discuss it here on the podcast. Trevor Lawrence looked pretty good during this game, but I don't give him any credit. Threw for zero touchdowns, basically threw check down passes, and he ran his little RPO action that he did in college that he is very good at, but he only runs, he's only good at running the football. He's not, a, he does not read defense as well. The Jags blew this game. They had it won in Cincy. I don't know if the Jags are going to win a football game after blowing this game, but the Bengals, on the other hand, Joe Burrow looked really impressive, 348 couple touchdowns they're three and one they are quietly three and one in that division i'm not saying they're going to win the division because i think the ravens are but they are three and one 
Very impressive, but the more concerning thing that maybe we'll talk about before we move on to the next game, Boyd had a really good game, by the way, but Joe Mixon getting hurt, how serious it is. If he's hurt, obviously the Bengals have zero chance. I still think they're a couple of years away from actually being really good, but Josh, any takeaways from this Bengals and Jags game? Yeah, just a couple quick things. Urban Meyer was making comments going into this game saying that in week two, they played one half of solid football. In week three, they played three quarters of solid football, and they were really looking to play a full game. Aside from the fact that that quarter is ridiculous, they played (laughs) 3.99 quarters of a good game, more or less, with the exception of just like breaking down in the second half in general. But after letting the game get tied, they stuck around and they had a late lead and they just couldn't do anything with it. The last thing I'll say on the Jags, big reason why they had a chance in this game is because maybe Urban Meyer started listening to this podcast and he actually gave the ball to James Robinson, who wound up scoring two touchdowns. Shocker. He's the only good player on your offense. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, and I completely agree with that statement. He's on my fantasy team. Urban Meyer, please play him because he's actually pretty good at football. Our next game that we'll briefly discuss here, a battle of teams that have not had good starts to the season and probably aren't very good and won't go anywhere. But the Atlanta Falcons, they like to blow football games. And they they blew this game. They had it in the bag. I believe the score late as I'm trying to pull it up here. They lost 34 to 30, but they were winning the Falcons 30 to 22 in the late fourth quarter. The Washington football team, not the Redskins anymore, the Washington football team, they get a ridiculous play to McLaurin. They were Heineke just lobs it up and he somehow catches it. And then he gets that playoff. Yeah. And then to win the game, a Pat Heineke throws like across his back to the other side of the football field to McKissick and the Atlanta Falcons defender dives and he misses the tackle. If he tackles him, the game's over. They probably win the game. But he goes all the way to the end zone, scores for, for a 30-yard touchdown. The Falcons blow yet another game. I've seen them blow so many games in the last couple of years. I feel so bad for them. But they let this Washington team run, run and throw all over them. Heineke, 290 through the air, three touchdowns, no picks. Matt Ryan looks, I feel bad for him. He is a good quarterback. He doesn't get enough love. Four touchdowns, 283. But the Falcons have no defense. They don't know how to finish a football game. They're now 1-3, and three, probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. Washington at least gets a win to get back to a respectable two and two to try to salvage their season still pretty early. But Josh, what do you take from this game? How did the Falcons blow this? The Falcons blew it because they're the Atlanta Falcons. There's not really a lot more that you have to say about that. I mean, they were given an additional opportunity to do something after Washington goes for two down by eight on that ridiculous McLaurin touchdown. They stop them. Still a two point game. Just run the clock out. Nope. Find a way to lose. Find a way to give up that McKissick touchdown. That Both of those replays were just like so clear to me that the Falcons just like, they need, they need like a tune-up game against like Alabama or something. I know they had a tune-up game against the, the Giants last week that they won on a game-winning field goal, but like that's because they played defense in that one. This Washington team, by the way, what happened to their defense? I mean, I get that Atlanta's offense is not like, bad by any means but no they they can't stop anybody like since when are they giving up 30 points to atlanta like it's absurd this was touted as one of the top defenses in the league last year and coming into this year and ron rivera has just decided well we're gonna win games only if taylor heineke can throw balls off his back foot that somehow find their way into the end zone so interesting strategy i think it's gonna get you about six wins on the year and best of luck yeah, and best of luck, Atlanta Falcons. Very depressing game, but guess where you go next? You go to London all the way in Europe. You get to play at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. I know the time difference, so it doesn't matter, but for us fans, if you're a true fan of the NFL, you might watch this. Otherwise, you're not going to watch this football game. They play the Jets 9.30 a.m. Eastern. If you live on the West Coast like my dad and my mom, in San Diego, you're waking up at 6.30 for this game, but you're probably not waking up because that is going to be a disgusting football game. Two horrendous teams. I mean, I'm so excited for that game just because I might take the Falcons and Survivor, but it would probably be very dumb of me. We will see. But Falcons, you, you'll probably find a way to lose next week in London. That's why that game is going to London because 
London, they don't really care about football, so send the Falcons and Jets there. <laughs> anyway, we head to another game that we got to talk about as we'll get into some of the other games that happen around the league on Sunday before we talk about the some other storylines that happened this week. We got to talk first about the Packers and the Steelers, two very you know, high-profile teams. Obviously, the Steelers have gotten off to a rough start, and it does not get any better for them this weekend in Lambeau Field. Ben Roethlisberger does not have a lot of answers, and he's getting older, as I've talked about on this podcast the last couple of weeks. They lose 27-17. to 17. They only score 17 points. Najee Harris has a not-so-great game. Deontay Johnson was the only one that really stood out to me for the Steelers on the offensive side of the ball, 9 for 92 with a touchdown. But the Steel- I watched a lot of that game. It was one of the, I believe it was America's game of the week, so I... They had it on the TV and Ben Roethlisberger, a lot of throws. He's just overthrowing guys. He's under pressure. He's not mobile enough. And it's just not getting it done. On the other side of the ball, the the Packers look good. I'm, I'm not impressed on this win about at all because it's the Steelers. But Rodgers, two touchdowns, 248 through the air. They gave the ball a lot to A.J. Dillon, who had a really good game out of Boston College. 15 for 81. Aaron Jones, you know, only 48 yards on the ground. But... They got it done. Randall Cobb caught two touchdowns for the Packers. It wasn't, you know, a show kind of game where they go out and they look really impressive, but they got what they needed to do. They went by double digits against the Steelers at home. They win this comfortably. They go into next week with a very winnable game against the Bengals as they move to three and one with all the concerns that we had in week one after that Saints game. They've quieted some of the people, the negative things coming through their camp and they look pretty good at three and one right now, but Josh, any thoughts? Is there any way the Steelers can write the ship at all or no? Honestly, it would take a lot. I mean, Najee Harris really seemed to be the only hope for this offense. And the Steelers tried to go back to that thing where they throw the ball to him a ton. It didn't really work this time. This time he only got six catches for 29 yards, gets that rushing touchdown, but Big Ben needs help, and then some. I mean, that offensive line's not great. Juju barely does anything in this game. Deontay Johnson is featured a lot more, and that's fine, but it's really just becoming clear that the Steelers team that won 11 straight games that has since won two games of their preceding eight is, you know, falling off the rails. I'm sorry, nine. They also lost a playoff game to the Cleveland Browns. But it's just becoming clear to me that they can't do it. And I was not impressed at all by this Packers win. I think they really just took care of business and didn't have to do any more. I like seeing AJ Dillon getting involved, especially in a game where they seemed like they had a good handle on it. But Aaron Jones getting involved in the passing game, three for 51. Randall Cobb back from the dead, back to this team from Houston last year, getting two touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers basically is just going out there and having fun, making fantasy owners nightmares come true with Devontae Adams barely doing anything in this game, but he doesn't care. He's out there to win. He's out there to prove that he can. And frankly, he doesn't really have to prove much anymore after three consecutive wins after that terrible week one loss. I think the Steelers are not that good of a team. And I think the Packers are going to run away with this division. There's not a ton that's going to change either of those things. Yeah. And I think the Packers not, it's more that, their division's just not that good than they're them actually being a really good football team, which I'm not saying they're not, but their division is there for the taking. And I think they will take it on a silver platter. We move on to another game. This was a very high volume televised game Sunday night. It was wet. It was raining in Foxborough. Brady's return back to new England. They got a ton of hype as it should Bill Belichick against Tom Brady. And listen, The game was good, but it wasn't, you know, what everyone thought it would be. It was a very low scoring game. I think factor in the rain and the kind of Bill Belichick planning that he was going to do for Brady. And the the Patriots had their chance to win this football game. They just, they couldn't. 19 to 17 was their final score. Nick Folk, man. Yeah, Nick, that, well, I'm going to talk about that as you bring that up. That was a very bad decision Patriots down 19 to 17 late in the fourth quarter. I believe there was about 50 ish seconds left. They were facing a fourth and three on the 46 yard line. It was a 56 yard field goal. Even if 39, but still, 
Okay, yes. Even if he makes a field goal, I talked about this with Josh off the show, they still have two timeouts with Brady to go get a field goal on the other side. You only make that play if that ends the football game. So I just do not understand it. But Mac Jones, for the most part, he actually looked really good. Threw the ball for 40 times, which he hasn't done all year. It's 275 through the air, two touchdowns, did have one interception. It's crazy to me that the Patriots could have won this game with literally, a, they have no run game. They have no running backs. They don't run the ball at all. They literally play Madden football the entire game. They don't run at all. They had negative one rushing yards. The leading rusher was Aguilar or Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar from USC had one carry for four yards. He is a receiver, by the way. And the Patriots still had a chance to be one of the best teams in the NFL. On the other side, the Bucs, they did what they had to do defensively. Tom Brady, to fantasy owners, displeasure, did not throw for a touchdown in this game. 269 through the air, 22 of 43. Leonard Fournette, 91 yards on 20 carries in this game. The Bucs did not look very impressive, but in that kind of game, that with all the you know extra things surrounding it, they got it done. That's what matters in the NFL. They got the win. So, Josh, any thoughts on this game? I know you have some. Yeah, I mean, I just feel bad for Nick Folk, despite everything you said about yeah. that play call. He just dings a 56-yarder off the upright in the wrong direction. An upright is about, I don't know, maybe a few inches thick at it was, most. It was a really impressive kick, 56 yards in that weather. Super impressive. And if he it comes right to left across the field goal, if he gets that just a half of an inch to the right, it probably dings in. And yes, Brady might have had a chance to go down the field, but frankly, I don't understand how Bill Belichick, who coached Tom Brady for his entire career, decides to chalk that up as the call. I mean, you're really showing that you're not confident in your rookie quarterback, which I understand, but like at the end of the day, you have to go out and win games. And kicking a 56-yarder in the rain is hard for anybody. So I'm not really sure what the deal was there. This game was really nothing special other than the fact that it was close. Lots of field goals. Ryan Suckup kicked a ton of them. And frankly, he was the only one that you wanted to have in fantasy in this game. Leonard Fournette had a nice game on the ground, but Ronald Jones vultures the touchdown. Brady does nothing through the air, as you noted. And none of the receivers really had big games either. Gronk obviously injured. Brady, though, I will say, really impressed me on one play in which he had to go pick up a first down, and he ran for it, bounces off a massive defender, leans forward, gets the first. At 44 years old? Are you kidding? There's no way that when I'm 44, I will yeah. even want to be anywhere close to a man of that size, and much less going for a first down. Like yeah. the, We're on a football the, field. Just insane. Exactly. I mean, it's it's insane. Like, he he's not going to die. He's going to play until he's a hundred and occasionally he's going to pull something like this and find a way to win in Foxborough. Yeah. I would not be surprised. It just it amazes me week in and week out how he is able to get wins at his age and how is he's able to do it just so, you know, so it comes so easy to him. Incredible win for the bucks. We move on to America's team in Dallas, not my team. I don't like this team. The Dallas Cowboys, 36-28, they looked really, really good against a Carolina team that we've talked about on this podcast. That has gone off to a 3-0 start until yesterday on Sunday. Dak Prescott, Prescott throws for four touchdowns, but it was really the game of Ezekiel Elliott on the ground, 143 yards. He was feasting against this really good Carolina defense. The Cowboys controlled this game. I know the Panthers made the score look close at the end, but the Cowboys controlled it from the kickoff or really from the third quarter on. They they outscored them 20 to zero. But the Cowboys, this is their year. The division is down in the NFC East, as it usually is, but really, especially this year. I really think the Cowboys have a very good football team. And I'm I'm really high on them. I, I was really impressed with this win. On the other side, Carolina, Sam Darnold throws two interceptions. You know, they're still missing Christian McCaffrey in the backfield, but I'm not too concerned about Carolina because I don't have that much expectations, but this game Dallas showed out. Yeah. I mean, you said it completely right. I really like that 
you know, Zeke is finally getting going. He hasn't really had a super big breakout season other than his rookie year in which him and Dak were both rookies and went off where the one seed took this team to the playoffs, and you know, lost to the Falcons, but they, they, they're starting to do this two back set where they're getting Tony Pollard involved. He goes 10 for 67 as well. And frankly, I think they should do more of that. I think in general, and we'll talk about the Browns having that two back set where you're working with your main guy and you've got somebody who's more than capable of taking care of the ball and getting yardage. You're not only, you know, saving these guys for the rest of the season, you're taking mileage off of their career. You know, we know running backs are only in the league for four to five years. If you can make it so they're only taking two thirds, you know, 60%, even 50% of the touches in a game, because you've got somebody else in your depth chart that's more than capable of taking those touches. Why don't you? And if Zeke is getting tired, he doesn't have to play every down. They've got Tony Pollard is more than capable. So I was very glad to see that Dak looked awesome. Did the weird thing that we've seen probably two dozen times this year where he has under 200 yards, with four touchdowns through the air, all the different guys. Cedric Wilson has a ridiculous touchdown to basically seal this game in the third quarter. They looked good on the, on the Panthers side. This was really a question of whether or not the Panthers pretty stout defense was going to hang in there with the Cowboys. Clearly they did not could probably attribute their defense really gain a lot of hype to the fact that they didn't play a ton of great teams in the first few weeks, but they did hang in there, try to mount a bit of a comeback down the stretch. DJ Moore goes pretty crazy, eight for 113 and two touchdowns in this game. And Darnold looked good. He gets his legs going, gets two rushing touchdowns by himself. I'm still pretty impressed with a lot of what he's doing. And then the last thing I'll say about this is the Cowboys last year before Dak went down, you know, that high-powered offense that we still see right now, and then the defense was really the issue. The defense wasn't great in this game, but they have a guy who's had an interception in every single game. And a couple pick sixes as well. His name is Trayvon Diggs. He went to Alabama. He might be the best cornerback in the NFL right now. And he is a huge help for their defense that otherwise is not super strong. Yeah. And the Cowboys, really impressive. They have a lot of positive energy moving forward. And I think this team can make a strong push into the postseason. We will see. The last game that we're really going to talk about in depth, Lee, that is the your team, Josh, the Cleveland Browns winning 14 to seven in Minnesota, a defensive assault. I mean, this Browns team defensively is scary, scary, good. The Dalvin cook obviously got hurt. He came in, in and out of this game. Madison had some carries, but could, the, the Vikings could not do anything offensively. The, the, the Browns really couldn't either, but they got enough done. They got the two touchdowns and they held on in that fourth quarter when the Vikings were pushing late on that last drive and the drive before as well, when they got turned over on downs, Stefanski returning to Minnesota, good return there for him as the Browns head coach. This team is good. And I, I'm not, I'm scared as a charger fan moving next week. Obviously the Browns offense is to be desired. They did give the ball to their two headed monsters in Chubb and Kareem hunt. A total of 35 times for 169 yards. They got what they were going to get, as they usually do. But Baker Mayfield, he's not really getting a lot of receivers, especially in this game, receivers into the equation. Their leading receiver was Richard Higgins with four catches for 63 yards on seven targets. But Josh, obviously, is a fan. I mean, you got to be so excited about this defense, but there's a little concern with this offense overall. But they won the football game. That's what matters. Yeah, I would love to see both the great defensive line, the secondary that maybe on five or six plays just laid out for balls to stop catches. I mean, the effort that was there was incredible and really the only way we stayed in this game. I would love to see that defense coupled with a great all-around offense. I mean, Baker the last couple of weeks, as I talked about against the Bears and now again against the Vikings, he has not looked anywhere close to good. He goes 15 of 33 through the air in this game, 155, gets sacked a few times. The Browns do their classic thing where they go for fourth down early in the game and they get sacked. The Vikings scored a touchdown on their first drive of the game, seven and a half minute drive. They go down the field, touchdown, Justin Jefferson. Browns don't let them score again. The rest of the game, no field goals, no nothing. And I have to give them credit for that, but it took a lot 
for them to get 14 points. They only scored one touchdown. They went for two after a uh, offsides or a defensive penalty of some kind during the point after. Shortly before the half, they say, okay, we'll go for two from the one-yard line. They go and get it. Love that approach. They kick another field goal right before the half as well. And then in the second half, nothing. One field goal between both teams, no other scoring, and that's 14 to seven for you. Like the overrunner in this game was one of the highest of the week, and they scored 21 points. Like there's a lot of teams that scored more than 21 points by themselves this week. But I mean, the, the defense is there. I just, the Vikings defense is good, not great. I was looking for, you know, the passing game to at least open up a little bit. Odell can't get open ever. And it doesn't really matter if he's open because Baker likes to do this thing where he just misses wide open receivers. And I, I can't, I can't watch it anymore. Like, Please, please, the Chargers game is not going to be low scoring. It's going to be some offense because Justin Herbert's good. The scary team. They have a more than capable defense. There's a this game is a pick 'em right now. It's another who knows what for the Browns. Back to back weeks. Like I, I honestly have no idea how that game's going to go. But once again, I would not be surprised if we lose because we look good and we're winning games, but we're not playing to the fullest of our ability. And if that's going to take time throughout the season, okay, I get it's early, but I'm not excited yet with what I've seen. I'm kind of still like catching my breath from thinking that the Vikings could have tied that game down the stretch. Yeah. And you said it best as you should, as a fan of this Browns team, we'll see there is, it's still early. As you mentioned, they're still more than talented on the offensive end to get it done. They have the two headed monsters on the, running attack, and their defense is pretty unstoppable right now, especially their defensive front with, led by Miles Garrett. Chargers are going to have their hands full, with the, especially with a new, a new young offensive line. We'll see how they do. They looked very good tonight. Herbert had a ton of time in the pocket throughout the entire game, so we will see. If, obviously, this is a battle of our teams. It will be very interesting going into next Sunday after the Texas OU game as well on Saturday. So what a weekend. What a weekend for sure. Playoff baseball. Playoff baseball gets started. I, I am very excited for that. Any last thoughts before we end the show? I know there was a couple other games, but not really notable games that we should get into, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier in the pod. The Bills look unbelievable. Not that I was expecting the Texans to have any kind of a fight in this game. They were 16 and a half point dogs going to Buffalo, but they took care of business. This is the third straight week that they've done that. Josh Allen looks untouchable. Even if they're playing bad teams, they're going to go out. They're going to beat them like, like anybody. Like They're unstoppable, and I'm very excited for them to play the Chiefs. And frankly, I think that they're going to win that game. Yeah, I, re- I really hope you are right. It would help the Chargers out a lot. Chiefs would be two and three if they lose that game. Yeah, that would be pretty exceptional. Bookmark that. We're going to talk about on the preview on hopefully Thursday, get published maybe Friday, Chargers and Browns, Bills and the Chiefs, two incredible games. We will have the breakdowns for you. Make sure to check that out later this week. For myself, Adam Glick, for Josh Spade, thank you for joining me tonight. Always a great show and always love to hear your insight on the NFL Why Not Us edition. We will be back Thursday. Chargers and Browns, our two favorite teams, will be playing this Sunday. We cannot wait. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. As always, enjoy the football. We will see you on Thursday.